Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I have two very quick updates to share with you all. Happy May. Of course, we are in another month. Boy, oh boy, this year is cruising by very quickly. But I want to briefly touch upon two things. So Florida has a right to hunt and fish amendment that just passed. It has cleared the threshold and now it goes to the 2024 ballot. I'll talk about some of the specs and what happened in that process. We're going to have a more comprehensive conversation with some of the bill sponsors and activists who helped usher in this crowning achievement with Florida to become potentially the 24th state in the United States to have a right to hunt and fish amendment. There's only 23 currently that have it. Montana unfortunately failed in that endeavor to expand their definition, but Florida, it can be lauded and celebrated. We'll talk about that. Additionally, I want to touch upon an interview I just did with Fox News Digital about Biden's war on hunting. Very important to discuss this. We've talked about lead bans, incremental hunting bans, and how that leads to loss of access, economic devastation relating to these industries, and then the impact it has on the hunting heritage and who is behind all this. So we will talk about, I will talk about rather, this interview that I did and kind of highlight some of the key points to it with the other hunting groups that also chimed into this. And I won't talk about this outside of this introduction, but if you are in the Twin Cities area of Minnesota, or you are in St. Croix County, Wisconsin, where University of Wisconsin River Falls is, I would love to invite you to my speech happening on campus on May the 4th this week. A great time to round out, I would say, what has been a very successful, fun speaking tour, a little lighter than my past speaking tour last year, but it's very fun to go across the country. I have included information in the show notes for how you can catch my speech at University of Wisconsin River Falls. If you join us a little early around 6.30 Central Time, there will be hors d'oeuvres and light refreshments. My speech will begin at 7 p.m. Central Time. You don't want to miss it. Would love to meet you there. Let's interact. Let's talk conservation. Now to our episode today. Thanks for listening. Florida could soon be the 24th state in the United States to have a right to hunt and fish amendment. What do these amendments safeguard? Essentially, they protect hunting and fishing activities in line with laws from threats like hunter harassment, angler harassment, and any perhaps legislative attempts down the road to erode different forms of hunting, different forms of fishing. They are constitutional amendments. There is no federal constitutional amendment to protect the right to hunt and fish. I haven't ever seen, I think, any semblance of that proposed federally. But these are good propositions that states adopt to insulate these activities from future attacks. Some people say, well, there's no threat, no credible threat to hunting and fishing in America. You're crazy. You're a right winger. 
And that is not true. We are seeing this play out in different states across the country. I hate to narrow it down to simply like a red versus blue divide, but you're seeing in states that are run by Democrats, constant erosion to hunting opportunities. You're looking to this remaking effort of wildlife agencies where Democratic governors appoint commissioners who want to divorce hunters and even anglers from conservation decisions. So they appoint people, lackeys, who agree to preservationist environmentalism. So you see little attacks here and there. We saw, I would say, a more blatant example was the state of New Jersey. Black bear hunting was canceled for the longest time. The governor there specifically campaigned, made it a highlight of his campaign and re-election efforts to ban black bear hunting under the guise that it is trophy hunting. They're being wiped out, eliminated from existence, even though black bears, according to the IUCN, which is an authority on conservation status of wildlife, have listed American black bears as of least concern. New Jersey has bears of the highest degree in terms of concentration, carrying capacity. They're not under any threat of danger. In fact, the bears, because there are so many in concentrated in New Jersey, all around the state, largely in towards the mountains of, of like Pennsylvania, towards that region, they pose a problem to people because they're not managed and they're highly aggressive and they are even aggressive towards each other. And so the governor of New Jersey was even forced to by his managers, wildlife managers, to reassess the ban that he instituted. He even conceded that we have to do this because of just this ecological imbalance. That was a nice win to see. So sometimes you can force these anti-hunters to change course. It's not going to happen in a state like Washington, although today it was just announced that Jay Inslee is not running for a fourth term for office. But it is interesting nonetheless to see this. You're seeing this in states play out like New Mexico, New York, Colorado. Colorado is having the hunting and fishing, especially the hunting side, eroded with forced wolf reintroductions by ballot box when these decisions should be made by wildlife managers. So Florida has seen what has happened. There have been different instances of hunter and fishing harassment. It's not widely covered, but in kind of endemic outdoor media, you do see these crimes highlighted very astutely. I can point to some cases in the Midwest and some other places where animal rights activists have interfered with these lawful activities because they didn't like it, and they've been punished by the fullest extent of the law. Actually, independent of fish and wildlife amendments, every state, nearly every state has a penalty for harassment if you interfere with lawful taking of game or fish in each state, but that doesn't necessarily translate to protecting it as a constitutional right in individual states. There's a difference there, but every state, as I understand it, has laws against hunter harassment. If they're fully enforced or applied, that's a question. I don't think in these more preservationist states, you do see a forceful application of this, but these are serious crimes. And that is why I think Florida has said it is due time to be able to do this. And like I said, we're going to talk to three leading proponents of this, but I want to read for you the specs of what happened in Florida's legislature. So Florida's legislature is supermajority Republican, and this now goes onto the ballot. The governor doesn't need to sign this into law. The most recent hurdle was crossing the state Senate, where a final tally vote of 38 to 1 is what helped this cross the line. In the Florida House, it was unanimous. There was 116 to 0 who voted in favor. I wonder who the lone person in the Senate side was, but it was in large part due to activists, grassroots activists, many different groups to name. You'll recognize some people. The efforts of Howl for Wildlife were also very pivotal for getting over 50,000 personal engagements with 
lawmakers directly in the state of Florida in Tallahassee. That's a very good testament to that. I think there have been other similar efforts as well. But like I mentioned, three people behind this, you have the lawmaker, Representative Lauren Mello, and then two close friends of mine, friends of the show, Mike Alphambeen and Travis Thompson, who were some of the key instigators, good instigators behind this effort crossing the line. They're one of a handful of many who've been involved, but two people who could speak very intelligently to this. So we're going to have all of these individuals on the podcast Wednesday to break down what the significance of this, how it was able to cross almost unanimously across both legislative chambers in Florida and what this means and why they decided to do this. I don't know if you guys know this too, Florida can also improve upon their hunting standards. Both Travis and Mike have told me on numerous occasions that there should be a bear management season, but the Fish and Wildlife Commission hasn't yet pursued that. And so maybe the adoption of a right to hunt fish amendment could perhaps inspire this type of activity to happen. Again, bear hunting doesn't mean they're going to be extirpated and eliminated from Florida. It just means that they're going to be able to recognize that it is time to have a season, a very highly regulated season. Maybe it'll allow for other types of management to happen and kind of force more activities and more monies to come through. So we're going to talk to those three leading conservationists to help this go across the line. Again, it was a multi-pronged effort, multiple activists and groups and organizations, but I think these three can speak most clearly to this and the importance of this because they're there, they're on the ground. So we're going to have that conversation for you sometime late Wednesday morning, maybe mid-afternoon Wednesday, Wednesday the latest. You don't want to miss that conversation. Relating to hunting, this is our second tidbit for today on Monday, May 1st. Hunting is under attack. I'm not going to paint a rosy picture. In some states, they preserve the right to hunt and fish. They protect the hunting heritage. You see this largely playing out in red states. Again, I'm sorry to make this a partisan kind of examination into things, but you have to look to who you elect. And I'm very disappointed that few Democrats are rising up to support hunting and fishing. Florida lawmakers, even Democrats, supported the right to hunt and fish amendment, which is wonderful. But I don't see national Democrats, save for a few, who are questioning various different federal directives. Most recently, lead tackle and hunting fishing bans. Why isn't there more outrage applied to this? I think some of them have a vested interest to see lead go away. And banning lead tackle and bullets is not the only thing they're pursuing. This administration is largely being influenced by a lot of these anti-hunting efforts. They listen to Humane Society. They listen to Natural Resources Defense Council, Sierra Club, Center for Biological Diversity, which is how this lead tackle and bullet ban on certain openings going forward on Fish and Wildlife Service lands. And who is to say that they wouldn't prohibit lead tackle and bullets on public lands, especially National Wildlife Refuges, going forward in totality, retroactively? And who is to say that this wouldn't just stop at Fish and Wildlife Service lands? I told Fox News Digital, the reporter there who I'm frequently in contact with, that I see these incremental bans expanding even beyond one branch of the Department of Interior. Like I said, I I worry it'll extend to BLM lands. In this article, they even pointed to the reporter in question who I frequently speak with. He even pointed to a recent directive to make and cut off opportunities to hunting a lot more scarce on USDA Forest Service lands. That's unheard of. That should not be happening. And so these attacks to hunting are there. These are not made up out of thin air. I've been documenting them here on the podcast and elsewhere. 
And you have to pay attention because it may just start as simply and innocently as a lead tackle and bullet ban. Okay, let's ban those because they're not used in waterfall hunting. Waterfall hunting is very different from other forms of hunting. And I think in the true market sense, we should be able to allow consumers to choose what the best accessories for their hunting and fishing trips are. Mandating and forcing everyone to choose lead alternatives is not going to work for everyone. Bismuth, tungsten, you name it, all these alternatives that are being touted as replacements to lead tackle and bullets, they may not be effective for certain people. They may be very expensive in contrast with lead. Everything is going up in price because of inflation and the lack of sourcing rare earth minerals to do mining to allow for these type of products to come to fruition. We have a lot of factors at play that are going to make these activities a lot more difficult. Even if it's a few more dollars to buy tackle and ammunition, I still think that's a horrible strategy to force people to change kind of their tackle box or kind of change their repertoire. And those little costs add up. This is not just some little thing like, oh, it's so good for the environment. It's so great. If we're talking at the great scheme of things of lead, these proponents of lead bans don't take into account that hunters and anglers are very careful to not leave a trace whenever they're using these products in the field and on the water. Do these people have such a low opinion of hunters and anglers that, oh, they're hillbilly hicks and they're going to leave everything and, and be so horrible to the environment and they want eagles to ingest lead fragments and do this? You're dealing with lead fragments when you are using these type of accessories. You're not using pure lead. Hunters and anglers are not ingesting lead. And I've calculated this at Real Clear Policy. I'll link to it in the show notes. The amount of lead you're dealing with is very minuscule. You're not ingesting the lead. You are washing your hands after using lead. It's a small fraction of lead you're using. And when you're field dressing your animal, wild game species, whatever you are harvesting, you're taking great care of the meat and ensuring you're not going to be ingesting lead fragments. So these people have no idea. I doubt they go hunting and fishing, what that entails, how people are not leaving a trace and how hunters and anglers are best left to decide what type of accessory is best for them to attain a successful hunt. Let's leave it to the market to decide what people want. If people want to explore lead alternatives, they can afford it. Great. But forcing behaviors, as we see in so many different dimensions, in forcing people to adopt electric vehicles to stop the climate crisis, so to speak, or forcing people to forego eating red meat or any meat at all because they're having to reduce their footprint, even though both of those activities, studies are coming out to show that you don't have to do that to be conscious of the environment and to protect the environment. Very extreme propositions, which have no basis in reality. They will just make everything costlier with no measurable impact on the environment. I see lead bans in that same vein. It's going to price people out of these activities, activities that are struggling to retain participants, hunting especially. We have seen reports that numbers are atrophying even after a successful temporary resurgence we saw during the COVID pandemic. Creating obstacles economically will have downstream effects on public land access. This is what it's intended to do. This is an attack on public lands. I will happily frame it like that. I have actively framed it like that. Making these activities expensive is deliberate. It's a gateway to hunting bans, even by incremental means, to slowly chip away at conservation funding, divorce hunters, and by extension anglers from these critical decisions because they've led these decisions for a long, long time. There are bad actors at play that want to erode this model to upend conservation and make it preservationist. And when you make these activities more expensive, you're hurting the people 
who would most benefit from going outdoors. New demographics, non-white participants who want to go into the field and on the water. This is a horrible policy. And if we are looking at big picture kind of things, you want to protect hunting, you have to oppose any incremental ban or erosion to this lifestyle. And some people are like, well, I don't need to. I don't like this. What's the point of doing this? I don't use lead tackle and bullets. You wait and see because they've been doing this to ban predator management. They're trying to do this with banning the type of equipment and accessories you use. You can't use an AR-15 to hunt because they're an assault weapon, which is totally not grounded in reality. It's a semi-automatic firearm. I have just built my own AR. I know exactly what it takes and means, and I've shot them many times. So they're telling you, you can't do this type of hunting. You can't use this type of firearm. You can't use this type of lead accessory because we know it's better for you, even though these people have largely never partaken in these activities that we are so closely involved in. So why are these people trying to force behaviors on us? Ultimately, it's to chip away at our outdoor heritage and make it harder for us to recreate outdoors, to cut access to public lands, even though they're saying this is for the betterment and enjoyment of people. Do not listen to them. They don't have our best interests in mind. And hunters, doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican, have to pay attention to this because it's not going to stop at lead tackle and bullet bans. It's going to go to different forms of hunting. We look at extreme cases. I'm sorry to say this. I hope this never happens here, but Australia is on the verge of banning waterfall hunting because people there don't like it. What's to say that anti-conservationists, preservationists, environmentalists aren't going to look to Australia and say, why don't we borrow a page from Australia's playbook? Anything is possible. This is how you have to operate. These people, these antagonists, these opponents to the hunting and fishing way of life, think long-term. They're just presenting little nodes to their agenda right now, but they're very transparent about getting hunting off the map. They're celebrating the diminishment of hunting participants. So you have to think big picture. You have to think long-term. You have to think, how do we best conserve and protect the outdoor heritage? It starts by opposing incremental attacks on the lifestyle. It may not be comfortable for you to do this, but if you need help, I'm happy to help you navigate this terrain, this landscape that is presented before us. Support groups that protect this lifestyle. Get involved. Support right to hunt and fish amendments. Oppose these type of measures. Write letters to the editors. Put videos out there explaining it to your social media followers. This is easy to defeat because this can be challenged in the court of law. Thankfully, this is not being passed by Congress because that is a whole nother animal. Very difficult to stop this. So we can use the proper legal channels to stop this from happening because this is done by rulemaking, even egregious rulemaking. But this isn't the end of it. And I was happy to talk to Fox News alongside some great people, Todd Atkins from Sportsman's Alliance and Ben Cassidy from Safari Club International, who went on Fox and Friends this morning to talk about this threat to the hunting way of life. I will include that in the show notes, but this is a battle. You have to be aware. You have to be prepared. It's not stopping. And they're trying and firing at all cylinders. And they're going to try to make this extremely challenging and difficult for us ahead. So we need to have a united front, oppose all incremental bans, and have the proper channels to fight this. There are so many different groups out there. We have people who can help us stop the attacks on the outdoor way of life. It's just a matter of how do you empower yourself. Let us be your guide here at District of Conservation, and we'll do our best to continue to highlight this. Many, many bad things are happening like this, but we are going to contrast it with the good. We're going to highlight the good people fighting, especially the Floridians who are trying to protect right to hunt and fish in their state. We have to point out the bad things. I'm going to also contrast that with good improvements. It's not a positive picture going forward, let's be honest, but I'm not going to be a misanthrope. I'm not going to be 
totally pessimistic. I think there are many ways that we can positively fight back. Not all is lost because I don't want to be just a negative Nancy with respect to this. There is much to celebrate with hunting. Historic levels of monies have been sent back to the States, $1.6 billion this year, past year alone in 2022. So we have good stuff happening, but they're going to chip away at the mechanism that makes all of this possible. Remove us from the discussion table. That is unacceptable. So that is what I hope you will do going forward. And please share this and get involved. Let me be a resource for you because the fight is not over and let's do it as happy warriors. There's so much to be happy about and we need to share that happiness with the wider public, the 80% who don't hunt and those who would be interested in these activities. I think there's still a place for these activities. I want to remain positive about that and I hope you do too because this is what true conservation is and we don't want that mechanism and this model that has worked so well to be upended. That doesn't mean people who don't fish, hunt, and recreate outdoors aren't contributing, but they need to understand that they need us as willing partners. And if you take us away from negotiations and discussions, you're not going to have conservation going forward. So you need us more than we need you. And don't be afraid to work with us and to learn about these activities. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure you're connected to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also on your preferred player, we recommend Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us reviews if you really like the content. Share the podcast with friends who may be interested in learning more about what's trending in conservation and the related industries that entangle with it and sometimes work against it as well. Thanks for listening to the show and stay tuned for the next episode.